Welcome to It's Our Money with Ellen Brown, a look behind the curtain of global finance and monetary control with one of the foremost experts in the field. Author of the bestseller Web of Debt and the Public Bank Solution, Ellen Brown's groundbreaking work began the movement to create new American public banks. We'll look at issues surrounding the world of money and the systems and powers that control it, as well as the progress being made on the public banking frontier. The program is underwritten by Public Banking Associates, a national consultancy of experts advising government leaders pursuing creation of their own public banks at publicbankingassociates.com. Public banks can be better or worse, right? We can have a good public bank or we can have a bad public bank. And it depends on how these questions are answered throughout the process of the development of these banks, even just by defining a democratic public bank as achieving economic, social, and ecological purposes. The way that we would need to define those purposes would have to be through democratic governance, being intentional about what the, what those mechanisms of democratic governance are from the onset and not later on once they're in practice and we see where they might be failing. You know, what is public money? What is community wealth building? What is democratic public ownership? And then what is a critical lens on public banks altogether? That's our guest, Michael Brennan, a research fellow with the Democracy Collaborative, who recently completed an important and instructive paper on how to formulate a new public bank based on principles of public representation and accountability, two areas of concern for those engaged in creating new American public banks. The paper is titled Constructing the Democratic Public Bank. Hello and welcome to It's Our Money with Ellen Brown. I'm Walt McCree, Ellen's co-host and senior advisor to the Public Banking Institute. Today, Alan and I will be talking with Michael Brennan about the elements of his research and the ways and the means that could be deployed to help guide a process that's still in its infancy in most of America, except, of course, for North Dakota, which has been operating a public bank for 102 years. But the Bank of North Dakota is not a model that can be easily replicated, nor perhaps should it be, in places where new public banks are being developed, like New York City. Philadelphia, San Francisco, New Jersey, and Los Angeles, among many others. Michael's work was done to assist the City Council of Los Angeles in its formulation process and has brought a new clarity to the necessary work of devising an institutional framework for bank operations and governance. Indeed, this new work has made a significant contribution to the national public banking formulation efforts. Ellen and I will be talking with Michael this hour, and we'll get to that discussion in just a moment. But now, let's talk with Ellen. So today we're going to do a pretty thorough look at the Michael Brennan's proposal for an L.A. public bank. But we also had another public bank in the news just recently. So it's the Massachusetts State Public Bank. The bill was actually filed in February. There was an article in Harvard Law Today about it just recently because the person who drafted it is a professor of law at uh, Harvard Law School, uh, Christine Desan, mm-hmm. and some of her students, and the Public Banking Coalition of Massachusetts, which we're always in touch with. And uh, even though like it's a state bank, whereas the LA is a city bank, LA is a city of 4 million people. And um, Massachusetts is a state of, I just saw, 
million people. So they're not that far apart. And of course, LA is many times the size of North Dakota. So they're still sort of in the same ballpark. And what was featured in this article was how um, a public bank is needed to close the wealth gap, particularly the the racial wealth gap that um, white families or wealthy families have money to start with. So to start a business, you need to get credit from somewhere. And typically they already have their pot of credit, but um, poor, poor families don't have that. And so they need a place to get credit and uh, banks, which uh, private banks, which have as their bottom line that they have to make money for their shareholders. That's their actual goal is to turn a profit at like as much profit as they can are not interested in lending to you know, small businesses, maybe without a great track record or whatever. But a public bank is not trying to make money. If they break even there, that's all they have to do, really. So it's a matter of cutting out the middlemen, cutting out the shareholders and uh, or the private shareholders and uh, returning the profits and the credit to the people, keeping keeping the money in the local economy, circulating, stimulating the economy, that sort of thing. And that, of course, is one of the, the main motivators for places like Los Angeles and uh, and Philadelphia, in particular, two cities with large uh, poverty populations. Uh, but San Francisco, which uh, has a lot of people on the streets, but most everybody's really well off, uh, is also uh, working on having a public bank. Well, the reasons are are similar across the board. They basically want to be able to retain control of their local economic uh, credit structure. So the need for that is universal. I mean, uh, when we look at how globalism and the global financial uh, cartel uh, has let people down all over the world uh, and is continuing to get them, them lower, the demand for local investment and local expansion of, of credit uh, is really taking stage. So public banks has morphed into so many different uh, concerns, infrastructure being one, postal banking being another, uh, where, and of course, municipal states, the states are, are, are as uh, you just said, Ellen, about Massachusetts, and the Black communities, uh, African-American banks, all of them taking a look at how a public bank can help with these chronic issues. So we're in a very rich time. And of course, it raises all of the, the other related issues about, well, what's it going to take for this bank to be run? How do you run a public bank? It, we don't have a lot of experience in the U.S., uh, but our guest, you know, Michael Brennan, has uh, taken some of that bull by the horns and, and created a, a piece that we're going to be talking about on the program today about democratizing or creating the democratic public bank. Creating the Democratic Public Bank is uh, the name of his piece, Done for the Democracy Collaborative. And so Michael will be giving us the the chapter and verse about that uh, in just a couple of minutes. Also in the news (laughs) was an article by Steve Keen and also an interview of Richard Werner, who are both, you know, we've discussed their work before, talking about how the banking model, the accepted establishment model is that you've got a certain amount of money in the economy and banks aren't are just intermediaries so when you have bank loans that really doesn't affect the money supply it's just a matter of shuffling the money around from one party to another but in fact that's not the way it works and the bank of england has finally come out and said you know of course we've talked about this a lot but that 
banks actually create <laughs> create money. And therefore, you need banks that are creating money for good purposes, for productive purposes. And right now, the big banks particularly are only interested in, I mean, what they do is create cheap credit for their big clients who mm -hmm. tend to be, you know, asset managers or they, they tend right. to buy. So what they've done is drive up the stock market and drive up housing prices, but they haven't driven up GDP. So they haven't really made loans to the small businesses that we're, would be uh, focusing on with our public banks. And, and therein lies the reason that the public banks are more important because they keep the money local. They, they really change the landscape altogether about who gets to control the money uh, and for what. You know, I think that that topic, we've been talking about this for years, of course, how banks create the money. Well, that is also uh, being realized on the national level with infrastructure now that all, everybody's talking about, well, where are we going to get the money to fix our country? Well, they're trying to do pay-fors and the sort of household debt thinking, the national debt driving the boogeyman of the scarcity that uh, is now, I think, finally getting exposed as being wrong and also dangerous for us to continue to believe that we don't have the money or the means to be able to create uh, the, the credit that we need. That, of course, is, you know, Stephanie Kelton's uh, book, you know, The Deficit Myth exposes that. It's a huge breakthrough when you think about it. You know, people, we've been, when you listen to all the, the politicians through all of, the, all of the generations talking about we just don't have the money. No, we do. We, we are sovereign currency creators. That and, is know, actually the, the American system. Yeah. You know, that's what, what we were founded on. The country was founded on, of course, Hamilton's first U.S. bank, but the even before that, the, the, the American colonists issue their own credit and their own money. And that's what allegedly, when that was cut off, allegedly that, that triggered the American Revolution. That's why we formed our own country and wrote our own constitution, that we were sovereign. We we're sovereign individuals. We're a sovereign country. And we have the right to create our own money, among other things. And that, of course, uh, operates on the national level. It doesn't quite operate. It doesn't operate that way for, for anything below the federal uh, ability to create uh, the national currency. However, the ability for banks us... Banks create money, yeah. I'm sorry? <laughs> a, a banks, banks create, create money. money and a state or city can own a bank, so... Yeah, and so and so we can have an effect of that living within a balance sheet of our own local uh, limitations. Public banks, we think, as as time goes on, is going to uh, will be in a position to do some pretty creative new digital emissions uh, or digital systems that can underwrite local economies in new ways that don't just rely on we have to borrow from the big banks. It's a very exciting time, Ellen, and the discussion about how these banks get run has been a primary concern for all of the governmental entities that have been looking at it. How do we keep the politicians and the special interests away from determining what the bank does with its credit, feeding special projects to special people, that sort of thing, uh, and ignoring the sort of people that have already been ignored uh, for decades? So um, Michael's a piece that we just showed you a, a, a startup creating the Democratic National Public Bank, which he did for the city of Los Angeles, is what we'll be talking about next. Let's go talk to Michael. 
And uh, thanks for this, Ellen. Thank you. From the outset of this past decade's movement to create new American public banks, key concerns about how these banks would be run and governed have arisen. Would the banks fall prey to uh, an intrusion by political and private interests that would uh, pervert the bank's mission, perhaps, uh, perhaps overrun it with special interests? What role would public stakeholders have in determining how the bank would impact the local economy? Would the public bank be in a position to replace the global private banks that currently are managing taxpayer dollars at cities, counties, and states? Well, today, we're pleased to have the author of a significant and comprehensive new overview of these issues on It's Our Money. Michael Brennan is our guest, uh, who just recently released uh, a really comprehensive and significant new overview of these issues. Uh, and uh, it's called, institu- it's uh, what he has termed uh, institutional design proposal for the Los Angeles Public Bank. Uh, The document is really entitled Constructing the Democratic Public Bank. Michael wrote the piece as a research fellow for the Democracy Collaborative. He's a, we consider him a rising star in the policy sphere of public banking, and we're very pleased to have him as a member of our board of directors at the Public Banking Institute. He has a sort of visceral grasp of public policy matters, and he's been actively engaged in collaborative agencies with several policy groups working for institutional change on a national level. So, Michael, welcome to It's Our Money. Thanks, Paul. We've been looking forward to uh, discussing this new product of yours, of your scholarship, really, since it provides one of the most comprehensive layouts of the issues uh, and also the processes that public banking protagonists are facing uh, in working in the trenches to bring about uh, new public banks. So let's dig into those issues now and uh, see how this document addresses them. Let's take a look at your definition of what a democratic public bank is as it's stated in that document. A democratic public bank is a government-owned bank that achieves economic, social, and environmental purposes through democratic, multi-stakeholder governance. It serves as a new critical model contrasting public banks against uh, private uh, banks and incorporates a a critical understanding of money, uh, the economic development paradigm of community wealth building, principles and components of democratic public ownership, and finally, uh, a dynamic theory of public banks uh, that you present uh, as contested institutions within a class-divided society. So that's a ton of stuff, Michael. Um, start us off with uh, what your mission was on this. Sure. Um, I, th- I think it's helpful to maybe describe the methodology here, right? So this is as a document aimed intentionally towards the uh, Los Angeles context, right? This is supposed to be a proposal that the LA folks in particular are able to use when they're advocating for their public bank. But it felt as we were, as that was kind of the, the main purpose, it would be difficult to go straight to the heart of that proposal without kind of setting up the general principles and framework by which that proposal was derived from. So that model of a democratic public bank is trying to situate the eventual actual like institutional design proposal for the LA bank in particular. 
So uh, part of that is to say, you know, when we're getting into the questions of institutional design, um, the immediate thing that that raises in terms of that definition is that public banks can be better or worse, right? We can have a good public bank or we could have a bad public bank. Um, and it depends on how these questions are answered throughout the process of the development of these banks. And obviously here I'm staking out a particular perspective on what that ought to be and what ought to be included in that. So uh, even just by defining a democratic public bank as achieving economic, social, and ecological purposes, right, as definitionally what it would be doing is a little bit distinct from maybe what would be a quote unquote neutral public bank, which maybe would be more purely economic, right, quote unquote. Um, and the way that we would need to define those purposes would have to be through democratic governance, right, it would have to be through being intentional about what the, what those mechanisms of democratic governance are from the onset and not later on once they're in practice and we see where they might be failing. Um, and so each of those components you laid out, at least for me, are constitutive of what would be, be part of that idea. So, you know, what is public money? What is community wealth building? What is democratic public ownership? And then what is a critical lens on public banks altogether, which comes from Tom Marwa, who's a colleague of ours. And yeah, so that, that constitutes that, that definition. Uh, and can you go into the, the structure that are the, uh, particularly the governance part of it? Because I think that was something unique to, I mean, it's a little bit like the Costa Rica bank. But, yeah. You know, where you have a lot of representation from the public. Sure. So um, like I said, you know, there, there's essentially two ways we can think about governance or two, two areas. The first is the functions of the bank. Like what is it actually doing? And then there's the forms of the bank and then how, like how we create those, those functions, right? And so the idea of the, um, the governance structure of the bank is um, trying to situate it so that we would have the best functions coming out of it. It's a little bit, I guess, high level or like theoretical in terms of like setting it up that way, but just again, to like situate it properly. Um, so the, the governance proposal is um, to create essentially three interlocking bodies that would um, do, do the overall democratic governance of the bank. Um, the LA City Council would create it. And these three, these three bodies would be a general assembly, a board of commissioners, and then various committees. Um, and the way they would work together would be that, um, you know, you'd have the board would act like a normal bank board, right? There would be nine board members. They would create an annual report they would hire and fire the, the president of the bank. They would um, manage the committees, the, right, the board committees um, that a typical board would do. Uh, the difference though, in this situation would be the board um, represents, represents the bank in between what we're calling these general assemblies, right? And it's similar to, uh, we could think of it like a shareholders forum, right? That banks, like corporate banks do have, um, except this is obviously more of a public orientation in terms of what this shareholders forum would consist of. And so every year the assembly would convene, um, the agenda for the forum would be, um, would be put together by the bank committees um, and it would approve and uh, reject different decisions that are, that are put forward to it and appoint the uh, board members that are. So this is kind of how the, again, the, the governance decisions are nested um, in terms of who's actually on the assembly, right? This is kind of a, I think, on the, on the further edge of where this is um, thinking, but the, in LA, there's the neighborhood council system, right? Which is a particular form of 
participatory government in Los Angeles came out of this movement in 1999 about um, they were trying, people were trying to split up the city in a particular way. And this was kind of the outcome of that. Um, and so rather than, um, you know, and, and there's different problems that people point to with the neighborhood council system, but using that uh, existing model, um, we would pick one person um, through a lottery process from each of those neighborhood council areas. So people could nominate themselves and then every, uh, and then they would be selected for a two year um, term as uh, a randomly selected member of the assembly. And this would control for like the political capture, the private capture of the overall strategic interests of the bank, right? And then people who are interested and like educated about the bank in their local communities could organize around this and try to get people to um, become active and like sign up to nominate themselves. So it'd be a little bit of an organizing tool. There, there's a lot you can kind of get into with that. So I, we can talk and more. Are they, are they volunteers or do they get some pay? So I, I believe the way it works in LA is um, anyone who's a board member of any like city board um, gets paid $50 a meeting. Um, so like for, you know, there's a wide variety of kind of advisory boards, different like governing, like throughout the city government. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, the, all of the assembly members would get paid $50 per meeting. And I know a big concern that I've seen expressed that we had it, LA had it, I'm in LA, this is LA of course, for radio. Uh, so we had a, we had an LA city bank in the 1980s. And it is said that it was designed to fail. Its mission was to make loans to businesses that couldn't otherwise get loans and or couldn't get reasonable loans. But that is also more or less one of our missions, hopefully, with a public bank. So who makes those decisions? And if you have a governing board or a governing committee or whatever of people who aren't seasoned bankers, as they say, Aren't you, look, you know, isn't it going to be risky? And how do you know you're going to have loans that get paid back? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is one of the things in terms of, you know, setting up that more general model um, of what a democratic public bank is. Um, one of the principles of democratic public ownership more broadly as set out by the Democracy Collaborative and stuff that Thomas Hanna had worked on um, is to make sure that professional management an effective organization is like a key component of it. Um, so the people who have the experience, the skills, the knowledge, the competency to run the bank, like need to be the ones still doing it. And that would be kind of the division between what I'm calling democratic governance as those three bodies versus the actual operational divisions of the bank, right? So if the board hires the president, the president oversees the senior management, there's different operational divisions. They just follow the mandates that are set by these three governing bodies, right? They they set the strategy um, and then they have to go out and then actually like, you know, be the loan officers, actually do the community outreach, do like the actuarial science that would be necessary to go achieve those mandates. But uh, that would be the separation. So then what does the larger group of 99 or whatever it is, what, what decisions do they vote on? So they, they would be responsible for a few different things. Um, they would be nominating and selecting the uh, a majority of the members of the board. Um, they would be approving or amending the annual report, right? So the board creates the annual report and then they would present it to the assembly. It's essentially where the public is standing in, right? Like uh, you could, they would, could also do this to the actual city council, but 
having it be in front of citizens um, and say, here's an annual report. Um, they have to vote to approve it as the bank's official annual report, and then they could question and make decisions about it. Um, and then maybe it's worth going into what the committees are, right? The different board committees. Um, so the three that I've listed here, just to kind of contain them, are uh, mandate committees, which would be responsible for um, overseeing essentially how the bank is achieving its, its different mandates. So if the bank is you know, supposed to go out and do a Green New Deal or it's supposed to you know, help with the climate crisis, like it's one of its mandates that's built into its public policy, then you create a committee that contributes to checking in on like how it's doing, right? So the committee has the authority then to put a proposal forward to say, we want um, to shift like whatever the different bank policy is around that different mandate area. So that'd be the first one. Second would be like operational committee. And this is a little bit more traditional, right? You have like risk committees, you have like an audit committee. These are things that exist in other banks. You would do the same thing here and they would agendize proposals for the assembly to vote. And then you could have special committees as well. And this is a little bit more innovative. You could set up uh, committees that are responsible for overseeing um, different constituency areas, right? So maybe you have like a labor union committee and then you invite in um, people who are uh, either you know, rank and file members or like in union leadership. And then they can look at, they can be a part of the bank policy on different areas relevant to labor unions, right? And that, that can be part of what the General Assembly is considering. That's a little bit more open-ended. Like there's a lot of kind of different directions that could go. It could be for worker co-ops. It could be for like, again, like green, uh, like a green economic development. It's kind of open to whatever the board would want to establish as a committee, uh, but they would set the agenda for what the assembly would consider. So you have a, uh, a tremendous amount of infrastructural shaping structure, uh, institutional structure to oversee and uh, ensure that the mandate of the banks are carried on. Um, the direct input of citizens comes at the committee level, uh, pretty much. Is that where the, the conversation, the focus uh, is created? They don't have any sort of day-to-day -day engagement or regular sort of determination ability, do they, or do they? No, yeah, the, the, the main area for citizen engagement would be through the General Assembly, which would convene once a year. Once a year. Um, and there would, you know, in the report, talk about ha having like an orientation process, right? They get selected. They can have like a once a month kind of training and orientation where they say, what is the bank? Like, what is public finance? You know, work through those kind of nuts and bolts questions so that by the time they come, they have a proper orientation to be able to like hear these questions and like make informed decisions. Um, there's kind of, again, this is kind of within a broader conversation about like participatory democracy and like kind of what is the future of that, like beyond banks. Um, there's like examples of different types of citizens assembly, like in Ireland or in the UK, um, you know, Occupy Wall Street is pretty relevant to this in terms of thinking about assembly democracy and how to do that in like a good deliberative way. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely kind of embedded in here, but yeah, the, the actual citizen participation would only be once a year, right? But then there would be different forms of representation embedded on top of that. Going on throughout the year. Exactly. Yeah. These would be very actively engaged. There's some really uh, complicated uh, challenges uh, or ex exciting frontiers for uh, for the missions and the mandates. I'm just looking in uh, uh, in this you know mandate to achieve cost savings about how the bank can reduce the amount of that the city is spending on debt service, how it can finance uh, uh, itself and municipal with, uh, get involved with municipal bonds, 
addressing infrastructure and housing and promoting equitable recoveries from social, economic, and environmental disasters. I mean, there's when you look at this document, Michael, you, you really have a beautiful, uh, almost an encyclopedic sort of an overview of what a public bank could be and how exciting and how extensive and expansive uh, the opportunity is uh, with this. I think you've really done a, a really important- yeah, I, I probably jumped into governance too quick, but I should give you a chance to give an overview. I mean, to me, the obvious advantage of the, of the people owning the bank is that you save a lot of money for the government. And then you've added in that, you know, the individual things like loans to businesses, that sort of thing that is gets more, more um, difficult to, you know, to jump through the hoops, FDIC insurance, all that stuff. But do you want to go through the basics of why a public bank and what, you know, to me, it's a no-brainer that it's going to help the government, the local government, because they can get cheaper credit, and they can that the money will go back into their own community, and they can determine what projects it gets invested into. But go ahead. Yeah, well, I feel like the, you know, the the approach I was trying to take here was to, to your point, like trying to be a little orthogonal to maybe the approach that we've had to public banking before of. You know that that point of like cost saving and um, kind of the efficiency argument, like I think, is a good one. But in terms of like uh, from a movement perspective or from an organizing perspective, what like the why public banks question is still kind of like I don't know if that animates people in the same way as saying like there's so many people organizing around a green new deal or racial justice and reparations or around recovering from COVID. Right? These are kind of active questions that I think are um, public bank is a very good answer to in a way that I'm hoping that the framework that I lay out here can kind of help orient to that question more clearly, because if we start with, you know, um, it'll save us money um, for all these reasons and we start explaining that, like then we have to get to the point where we say, and then we can use the money for the other things, right? We've kind of lost the thread communications wise or like organizing wise, whereas you start with, we want a public bank because we want a Green New Deal. We want a public bank because we want reparations, right? And fix the history of redlining, like these other things that we want to, address with the public bank, I think it's more helpful to start there. Um, and then like we can get into the technicals and like the design questions. And that's why I'm like, you know, people can look at the governance design and like take what they want from it. They can look at the support and take what they want from it. But I think it's, it's I'm hoping it's an organizing document, right? I'm hoping that people can take what they, what they need from it to act, be able to have conversations about public banking in a clearer way than maybe they were able to before. When, when you talk about the theoretical uh, understanding of money and community wealth, would you flesh that out a little bit for us? Because I think that, you know, everybody uh, thinks of money as the stuff you, the, uh, the digits you have in your accounts, your stocks, your bonds, and other sort of assets. But there's a different sense of community wealth and perhaps of, even of money itself that, that, that your formula sort of speaks to. Yeah, I think, you know, this is part of at least my vision of what public banks can be and, and like their potential could be is um, helping us reimagine what money is, right? And I think, you know, this is informed by modern monetary theory or MMT in terms of how we want to um, kind of open up the idea of money as a public utility versus money as like a scarce commodity, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the idea being, right, in terms of our, our banking system, in the United States, um, we have essentially like a public-private uh, monetary system where the public um, 
sovereign government, you know, gives charters to uh, private banks to manage our monetary system, right? Our money supply. Um, this is some stuff that like, uh, you know, our colleague Bob Hockett, him and uh, Sally Amarova, there were like a pretty important article called the finance franchise that kind of goes through um, the implications of this in terms of, uh, you know, banks as de facto public arms, right, or, or public entities, because they are licensed, they, they rely on a bank charter in order to exist, which is a public authority. Um, so kind of starting from there, right, in terms of what even public money is, or like bank money is as a public good, or as a public utility, it immediately reframes as well, why do we give private corporations and private shareholders, the ability to manage the money supply, right? It doesn't even make any right. sense on its face. Right. Um, and so as we're thinking about, you know, these questions, which people have, you know, you guys and like uh, other other people in the space have been investigating for a while um, is how do we kind of push that forward and like shift the momentum in this new direction? Um, and I'm hoping that by laying out this, like, you know, if we have that foundation of understanding, um, and I don't really want, like, you know, I didn't really explain maybe the, the full vision of like what public money is there, but um, by kind of having that as a premise of our public bank organizing, I'm hoping that it can help us also uh, open up the potentiality of what money can be, right? Which I think includes like local currencies. It includes ways that maybe we have to think about um, like uh, time banks or um, like a different, like, you know, there's transit cards and the way that that is integrated into our monetary system and like, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things we can kind of open up if we if we have that embedded from the start and we design public banks so that they're able to move in those directions as we kind of, you know, we have to build on these wins, right? We don't want to win a public bank right. and then fall backwards. We want to win them so that we can expand our power and be able to win greater things beyond even just a public bank. You mentioned the issue of FDIC insurance and right now in California, the um, AB 857 says that we need to get FDIC insurance. I just wondered, I know the public banking bill uh, was fired, filed federally and you're right there in Maryland, pretty close to Washington DC. Is there any progress and is there hope for these uh, federal bills? What's your sense? Yeah, it's uh, at the moment, you know, we're talking in mid-August and the infrastructure bill is trying to work through Congress. We'll see how it plays out. Um, I'm unclear on like the insider direction of it. Um, but I mean, the goal would be, right, I could, I could get into the weeds on like the Congress situation, but the, um, you know, the different committees have to uh, assemble essentially what they want to put into the infrastructure like the reconciliation bill. And it's a question of what parts of AOC's public banking act are like germane to um, something that affects the budget, right? Um, so there's like grant programs within it. There's uh, federal reserve facilities that are within the, the public banking act um, that are germane and I think could be reconcilable, right? Under the rules, but unclear to me how much buy-in like Maxine Waters, who's the chair of the house financial services committee she would have at the moment. Um, so TBD, I don't, I don't have a great answer there, but. Yeah. It's an indicator of the kind of evolutionary conversation that we're having in the, on the national level around creating a new publicly owned financial structure, institutional structure. So what your work has done in, in, in a very comprehensive way is really laid uh, a groundwork and a, and a mechanism for moving through these very important questions. Um, uh, of functionality and, and approach. Um, and, and, and I mean, I think that people that 
the folks that we're dealing with around the country are driven by much simpler uh, <clears throat> understandings, you know, keeping our money at home and investing in ourselves. I mean, that's a really worthwhile, commonsensical sort of a place to go. And now what you've got with this new uh, uh, constructing a, a democratic public bank form uh, 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 is, is a very helpful uh, device uh, for us uh, moving forward here. If we were going to take an example of how it would process a new idea, you know, as you were saying, what's the possibility of public money? Uh, let's say the Los Angeles decided to create a digital local currency. Uh, how would that process be conducted through the, the framework that you've proposed here? Right. So, yeah, just, just to give like a, maybe a specific way that like having a democratic public bank would be more helpful for, for that type of innovation than if we had, say, a technocratic or neoliberal public bank. Um, if the public bank is able to set a mandate, right, at the General Assembly, there's been a lot of talk about this local digital currency. There's a lot of interest in it for, um, you know, the different ways that it would help build co-ops, the ways that it would help with the local economy. Um, the, and at the assembly, there it's like an issue. It's a live issue. People are talking about it. Um, and we're like, we want, we want um, um, our businesses and we want the bank to accept these local dollars, right? This local currency, right? Because there's no banks that take our dollars as tender at the moment, right? There's no one that you can accept it as payments. But you can make the argument in a democratic venue, right, of this general assembly, of the board, and say, this is something that we want the bank to do. And we want to... Um, like help facilitate the growth of this local currency. And right. so, you know, you can introduce some like a proposal that kind of puts that forward. Um, and then it becomes, you know, again, money is that which pays, money is that which is accepted and is usable as money. Um, and so if a democratic public bank, which is scaled, right? Cause Los Angeles is huge. You're able to um, be a, a market maker in a much more meaningful way um, than, um, once you're able to do that, it uh, I think it's a lot of trickle down effects from there or knock down effects in terms of uh, the acceptability of the money elsewhere. Um, it would have to be, I think, in tandem, you know, with some other proposals around, you know, like digital wallets and public payments infrastructure, right? A public bank on its own couldn't do it. But I mean, in terms of like getting debit cards out to people and like their ability to use like an app um, is, is kind of, you know, that's maybe more relevant to AB 1177, which is the state bill in California for um, creating a, a free retail banking option. Um, so, you know, like if the LA public bank as a democratic public bank is the administrator of the state level network, which is kind of the question at the moment for who would actually administer this, the state level system, um, then it creates new potential for what, what could even be money within that, that state level retail option. Yeah, I would think legally, one might argue, <laughs> going back pretty far, but Alexander Hamilton's idea was that we would take all the debts of the of the colonies to, you know, now the states and issue a national currency. But it wasn't to give that power over to a private banking system or a system serving the private banks, namely the Federal Reserve. I mean, I'm sure that's been litigated to death whether the Federal Reserve is really legitimate. But still, I would think we could argue that the states, well, for one thing, they wouldn't be issuing bills of credit, which is what in the Constitution, I think the 10th Amendment says that states can't issue bills of credit. But so we're not issuing paper bills anyway. We're, we would be issuing a digital currency. So it's not in the 
in the Constitution. And the federal government has failed in, I mean, the reason that colonies gave up that power was that the federal government was supposed to do something else that they didn't do, issue a national currency for, of and by, by and for the people rather than a, than a central bank uh, currency that's basically serving <laughs> big Wall Street banks. And there, there are digital or there are um, complementary currencies, you know, that currently exist across the country. There's Ithaca Hours. There's the I think Detroit Dollars is another one. The there's like in Baltimore, which should, like, used to used to be there. Yeah, right. but they're not they're not state. I was just thinking though know, that the, the state California has so much potential and so many things that need to be done, but we don't have the money. Well, let's just do what Alexander Hamilton said we should do: issue our own money, have our own bank. <laughs> build the stuff and make sure that they're the type of loans that pay back, you know, in other words, money that goes out as a reflection of something that's really in the economy, you know, real goods and services. And, and it should work. And that, that original theory that was supposed to apply to the national government, I got usurped. So we should be able to try it in California. I would think just an idea. It it makes me think of our, friend and colleague Bob Hockett's uh, distinction between endogenous and exogenous money uh, uh, access, you know, the money that comes from within, uh, as you were just referring to, Ellen, and the stuff that comes from without where we borrow it and it comes from uh, outside sources. And that seems to me to be kind of a pivotal point of democratic power is that whether we continue to allow to hand that right, that privilege, that franchise, over to private parties or whether or not we construct and devise the mechanism uh, and the framework and the agreement uh, that we're going to be able to finance ourselves uh, uh, through this mechanism, yeah. Yeah, I I think it gets at something that, you know, some of the MMT folks have been putting forward, this idea of monetary agency, right? In in contrast with um, monetary sovereignty, maybe is kind of the more traditional way people have been setting this up in terms of like the US government as monetary sovereignty, so we don't have to worry about the deficit, right? But to expand that out a little bit further to what we're talking about as monetary agency would be um, everybody like institutions at the subnational, at the local level have different degrees of ability to create money, right? Like if we have a transit system and we have uh, like a, a debit system for people's ability to transit, that's a form of monetary agency that already exists, right? That is not like um, theoretical, like that exists in, in critical mass in a lot of different places. Um, and so by creating infrastructure, right, payments infrastructure, financial infrastructure as public banks, um, we are giving our, we are increasing our capacity, we are increasing our monetary agency at the state and local levels, and we can open up those ability to create our own currencies, whether it's like, you know, formally government owned, or formally nonprofit, or it's like a cooperative currency, right, there's a lot of different models we can kind of think very creatively toward. But we need the public infrastructure. Like, there's no way around that. We need the uh, banks and the payments infrastructure first in order to be able to do it. Um, and there's, again, like a lot of implications, I think, of our, once that comes out, where the economy can go and like what we're able to agitate towards. And even just as one last point, like I think in terms of maybe more cynical or like a realistic about like kind of the prospects, you know, people think the Republicans will win back the House in the in 22. And I'm not sure what we'll get through in terms of public banking act or otherwise um, this this Congress, but um, you know, following there, I'm I'm pretty pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what the horizon is politically after there, but I think like 
building monetary agency over the next couple of years is going to be critical for our ability to really set out the alternative from the neoliberal paradigm that maybe Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, they might be sort of breaking with, but not really, right? Like, I think it's not really a clear pivot in the way that we need it to be. So like creating these institutions at the local level is at least part of my theory of change in terms of what we need to be doing so that by the time 24 comes around, 26, 28, and like wherever we're at in terms of climate change and everything else, like it really needs to be clear to people exactly what these things look like in practice, because absent that, um, I think we're going to fall into a more nihilistic ethno-nationalist political future. Um, and we need these things soon, right? To, yeah, we have to- a system right now where big banks can borrow for almost nothing from the central bank. And states can't, and of course, local governments can't. So we need some sort of system where the local governments, including the state governments, can get interest-free, nearly interest-free credit too. Because that, if you could just generate the credit like they do in China, you know, generate it by borrowing from your own bank that you own, and then build the thing and then pay it, pay it back with the proceeds, we could do so much. Yeah. But we're limited because we have to borrow in the bond market at whatever, 4%, or if you're talking infrastructure, I think it's some, I saw somewhere 8 to 12% is what they want for public-private partnerships. You know, outrageously high interest rates. We need to be able to just generate the credit. If, the, if that's at a federal level, then great. If we could pull that off with a, some sort of federal public, whatever, monetary authority that states can borrow from nearly free, and or at, at a state level or even city level, like LA is big enough that they could pull something off, you would think. Anyway, it's quite that. And, and, and your mention about MMT, modern monetary theory, <clears throat> uh, seems to me to be uh, uh, increasingly important. Now you listen to the conversations about infrastructure and finance, where's the money going to come from? This is the, the, the debt concern, the myth, the de- deficit myth. Uh, is uh, really in, in inhibiting our ability to protect ourselves and to invest. Uh, and, and so there is a whole new uh, paradigm uh, about money uh, that, that public banking is bringing forward and that Michael, thankfully, you know, you've, you've articulated in very specific ways about how this can get done. It's certainly gonna be uh, in, in not just encouraging, but I think comforting for some people to read this document, again, constructing the democratic public bank and see that this has been, that the concerns about having the people's money stolen and ripped off and things broken and so forth um, uh, is, you know, it's somebody else's notion of how they protect their their franchise. Uh, The public banks will never work. Well, you know, this is really the moment where where we have to stand together about insisting that it's our money. It is our money. We're issuing the full faith and credit of the United States uh, and uh, and and our communities. So um, I think it's very exciting what you what you've done here. Tell us about Los Angeles politically now too. How do things sit for the prospect of the bank? And um, you know what? Are, are, you see green lights, yellow lights, red lights. Yeah, it seems like the type of thing where. Um, the, there, there's a there's an okay consensus within the city council to move this forward. Right now, the issue is getting it agendized on the on LA City Council's like meeting, um, and that's up to the council president, Mary Martinez. Um, but 
Uh, more generally, I mean, I think it's a question of, you know, there, there's been a lot of, I think, good momentum, especially from Public Bank LA and the California Public Banking Alliance to um, bring forward public, like put it on the radar and really be good grassroots advocates for it. But I think like what I'm hoping that this paper can help their ability to do as grassroots organizers is to really like socialize this idea um, to the specific constituencies, right, that I think need to have, I think, a more clear long-term full buy-in to this as, as an issue, right? So there's, there's different um, issues, there's different efforts around like revitalization and like anti-gentrification. There's like, you know, defunding the police and Black Lives Matter, right? There's like other types of, there's like a um, folks who are concerned with like the homelessness crisis in California and in Los Angeles. And there's different ways that we can kind of like say the argument in terms of why public bank for those things. Um, but to the point earlier, like I'm hoping that this framework can really bring forward like how people's constructive engagement in the question of like the design and policy process of the bank, like they need to be involved like on a, in a, in a committed way versus in like a, I hear about it and, um, right. you know, it sounds like a good idea. And so as much as possible, I think that's kind of where I'd like to continue helping with, with that effort in terms of being able to bring that out. Um, and be able to articulate like a from an organizing perspective um, how we can like build the real constituencies around this because absent those constituencies that I think are essential right of like the new economy that we're trying to bring forward I think it'll get captured along this process I think that like the folks who have political power will kind of dictate the terms of the consultant who gets hired right and will dictate that consultant will decide how this bank is designed there won't really be much public input in terms of what then passes even though like we might get to the point where we're like well we want the bank but we don't really like the consultant bank right puts us in a weird position if we don't have enough power to really push back and like actually stop them from doing that um so you know there's no shortcuts right it's kind of the you know we have to have a good mass politics orientation about all this like there's not really a way around that and um i don't know if these you know we'll see how these first public banks go california is leading the way it'll be uneven, right? We're seeing in New Jersey, maybe also just kind of like the unevenness of, you know, maybe there's top level commitment or kind of top down commitment, but like if there's not a real substantive public, uh, popular engagement with these questions, then I don't really think they're gonna be what we need them to be to meet all these problems that we're talking about with public banks. Yeah. You're doing great work, Michael. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alan. One process question I have, uh, any formulation uh, in this work about starting mechanisms or at least ways in which a bank could be started? Because one of the problems that uh, shows up is, well, we're going to have to do the heavy lifting of going out and getting a bank charter uh, to begin with, or will there be some other mechanisms like a phased-in banking uh, capacity or capability? Yeah, I, I, you know, I hint at it in the report. I don't really dig into it too hard, but I know what you're talking about in terms of, you know, there's questions around, could you just buy a bank, right, versus starting a de novo bank? Uh, there's questions around, should you just start a municipal finance corporation without a bank charter that's publicly owned initially, and then like have it be operational, and then eventually acquire a bank charter, right? Those are kind of like open-ended questions that, um, again, I think it comes back to kind of political legitimacy, and like your your ability to, to create narrative, and like create um like uh like people's buy-in on those types of questions um like i think the idea of buying a bank is a good one but in a way it's maybe unexplored or like um 
people may hear that policymakers may hear that, but they don't feel comfortable being like a political leader on something like that until they see someone else do it. Right. And it's a problem for anything. But, um, and I think, you know, the idea of a municipal finance corporation is like part of the public bank LA strategy at the moment. Right. I think the idea is for the uh, right now, the, the language that was passed by the, the, by the committee in the city council was for the, the consultant that's hired by the city to write the business plan, they'll have an interim report that will have a recommendation on whether or not to start an MFC, right? As, as part of the consultant mm-hmm. language. Right. Um, so that's an open question and we're glad to kind of have that incorporated because I think it gives a little bit more structured of a venue to give a yes or a no on that. Cause I think it's kind of like, uh, it could be good, but like, don't want to get bogged down and like living or dying on that hill. Yeah, you, um, you might have to define that for listeners who don't, don't know what a municipal finance corporation is. Yeah, it, it would essentially be like a like a loan fund, like a revolving loan fund type of thing. It would do, and the question, the, the reason it's kind of a problem just to maybe give a little bit of a um, flavor to it is um, essentially like the amount of money you commit via this loan fund Um once you commit it, it can no longer go toward the bank until you get it back, right? So if you create this municipal finance corporation, it l- starts lending out a bunch of money, right? Um, and it's it's a narrow bank, like it, it doesn't have leverage power. It can't like create money in the same way as banks can. Um, that money is now not like bankable, like it doesn't contribute to um, what we'd want is like the reserve base of the bank once the bank is actually- Or the capital base, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so- um, the, yeah, so you could design that to be all loan guarantees, right? So the money never actually goes out. It's just kind of like a, a risk pool that sits in the background of loans that say like CDFIs or local banks are doing. And then that would kind of preserve the money. So it could, it could go to the bank once the bank actually gets the charter. Um, but like it's a trade-off, you know, it's, it's kind of an open question. Would you rather have that? And then at least have some operational, startup. This is something that um, Carl Vitell, I mean, like he, he kind of puts forward as like, it's, I agree, it's important to get the ball rolling and get like a division up and like actually talking to banks and like starting to like, we should, I know this is maybe it's just to conclude on this point, like we should have a sociological understanding of this stuff an institutional understanding of this stuff as like, the bank doesn't just not exist. And then it exists. There's like people you got to hire. Those people got personalities, they got networks. It's like, there's a whole bunch of questions terms of who actually is doing this and how those relationships build over time, what knowledge is built and how is that contained and incorporated into how the bank is even operating that have to be kind of placed within this long-term process of building the banks. And so I think the MFC question like helps raise that right in terms of getting that started before there's actually even a bank. And ultimately in Los Angeles, perhaps that will have to be put before the voters, which uh, we, we've already seen a little bit, had a little taste of. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I, I, we kind of need to wrap this up, I guess, Michael, but we can go on. And I think there's just it's so rich uh, what, you, what you've done here. I think certainly what it does very powerfully is illustrate the, the democratic dynamic, the need for people to be involved in democratic uh, activities to take a stand for their money uh, in this instance. Uh, and to be involved uh, and aware. So, you know, democracy is a tough thing, man, because people have got lives and they've got limited understandings of, of it. But here we're asking for them to really kind of grok what, how this could work. 
uh, and to and to get on board and then to bring their neighbors along. But man, once we do that, you know, whole new possibilities uh, open up and it kind of gives you goosebumps to think about what we could do if we really controlled our money uh, in the public interest. Um, Michael, tell us how people can uh, get access to this, uh, to the Constructing the Democratic Public Bank. Uh, where, where would this be available for our viewers and listeners? Yeah, it's available at the Democracy Collaborative website um, at democracycollaborative.org slash LA Public Bank. You can check it out there. Um, you know, if you want to be in touch about it, um, you can find my info. I'm on Twitter at, at MRBRNN. Um, you can shoot me a DM if you want. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, engage with folks, especially grassroots organizers who are pushing for public banks around the country, I think. You know, the goal of setting up this general model was to give people something they can work with everywhere and not just in LA. So definitely yeah. encourage folks to look at it, Absolutely. talk about it with your group, and I'm happy to join in on those conversations yeah. and, and work That's with people. Perfect. You have a, a public banking institute email as well, right? Yeah, uh, Michael at Public Banking Institute. Michael at Public Banking Institute. Well, okay, Michael, thanks very much. Ellen, anything more for you at this point? And. No, thanks. I, I just wanted to say I, I did appreciate that explanation of this larger body of 99 as being like the shareholders. So yeah. for people that object, we can say, well, they're not making the management decisions. You know, they're they're like shareholders approving the general flow of things. Yeah. 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 So thank you. for that. But anyway, thank you for your work. It's great. Thanks, Alan. All right, Michael Brennan, thank you for all of us. If you, again, if you'd like to get a copy of this, it's Constructing the Democratic Public Bank, available through the uh, democracycollaborative.org. And uh, of course, if you want to write to Michael, michael at publicbankinginstitute.org. Thank you once again, and congratulations, Michael. Thanks, Walt. Well, that's it for this edition of It's Our Money with Ellen Brown. Our thanks to our guests, our sponsor, Public Banking Associates, and to you for listening. Be sure to check out Ellen's latest writings on the economy and the changing world of money by visiting ellenbrown.com. And for more information on public banking, visit publicbankinginstitute.org. For information on how local and state government leaders can obtain professional insight and counsel about public banks from key national experts, visit publicbankingassociates.com. I'm Walt McCree. See you next time on It's Our Money with Ellen Brown.